You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lockdown Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis, formerly of Scout, formerly of 24-7, formerly of IBI, now all of Locked On. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON15 to get 15% off your next order. Today's show, we're going to talk about some stats from Game 1. We're going to talk about Game 2 and Game 3, some overall thoughts as the season has progressed. But there were a few things... Uh, so I, I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but this year I have been added on to the official media for the Cleveland Indians. That means I get all the post-game notes, which are full of good information, and I also get the invites to go to the Zooms online. Uh, I have not had the opportunity to take part and go to those yet. Eventually you might hear clips from those games. You might hear me asking questions during the post-game, but it's a, a nice little bonus piece of information that uh, we'll have this year. One of the facts that came from Game 1 that I forgot to mention is that for Shane Bieber, that was his 16th career double strikeout game. And he and Bob Feller are the only Cleveland opening day starters with multi-digit, uh, with multiple double-digit strikeout games. That's it. That's your list. I know there have not been a lot of huge strikeout artists, but it is kind of interesting. Like Corey Kluber, with all of his years, you would think he would have had multi-double-digit strikeouts, and for Bieber, it's just the last two years. That's two in a row for him. And Bieber joined Nolan Ryan, Randy Johnson, and Bob Gibson as the only four hurlers to record at least 12 strikeouts or more in multiple opening day starts. What a list is that? Nolan Ryan, Randy Johnson, and Bob Gibson, each of them have only done that twice. Uh, multi, home, 12 or more strikeouts in multiple opening day starts. So if he does it one more time, he'll be alone in that group. I mean, 12 strikeouts is a lot. Uh, the game is evolving and changing, though. But that's those are some numbers. Those are some things I had to talk about. I could not just roll over that information in terms of what we have seen so far with the Indians. Game 4. Game 4, I'm sorry. The game on the 4th, Game 2. Uh, Trevor Steffen. Someone pointed out, I've been mispronouncing his name. I do that, and uh, I need to get better at that, especially considering his. I've had interactions with his father on <laughs> on the Facebooks and the Twitters, getting additional information. Uh, and again, I should especially know that as someone who watched his starts at Arkansas. Now, I'll admit that I did not see his starts uh, with the Yankees, but he did make his major league debut in uh, the Saturday game in the eighth inning, throwing some heat. Uh, it was it was good to see in a game. So let's just talk about this Saturday game, first and foremost. Should we just talk about, you know, Stefan, he had one hit, one walk, two strikeouts. That's fine. Nick Wetgren, Whitgren got lit up. Plesak was okay. Again, and he was good. Okay is unfair. He was good in this one. Six innings, six hits, two earned runs on two walks, just four strikeouts. He liked to see more strikeouts. On the other side of things, Julio Tehran, I believe, did not get a win last year. Nine starts, zero wins. Gets his first win out of the gate. Four hits, three walks, one earned run. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there who watch this game and probably left annoyed. You know, uh, Eddie Rosario, again, going back to my talk with Nash Walker from last week, the, the Eddie Rosario experience, 
him missing the throne game one might have cost them the game. Game two, he provided the home run, and then the first run the Indians scored that wasn't via home run. The uh, the score that got across in the eighth was the first time the Indians scored a run that wasn't via the long ball. The interesting thing in this game is typically if you hit a ball over 100 miles an hour, it results in a hit. It results in a good outcome. The Indians on Saturday were one for six in balls hit over 100 miles an hour. Uh, it's very early in the season, but I saw uh, Will Gage from Everybody Hates Cleveland had a great little thing that he showed where according to like expected runs, the Indians were had the fourth highest expected runs in baseball. This was after two games, very small sample size. Can't really use that data, but it kind of shows that there is a degree of unluckiness early on. And for the Indians, you know, seven hits, four walks, and to only get those three runs across. The other side of things, I mean, 10 hits, five walks. And how about the fact Willie Castro is their three hitter? Ugh, that's a trade that stinks for the Indians. We don't have a lot of trades the Indians have straight out lost. That is one they straight out lost. And I loved it at the time. Uh, if you don't remember, that was Willie Castro for Leonis Martin and uh, Kyle Dowdy. Not not the best outcome. So, again, Plesak, solid performance, good performance. Like to see a few more strikeouts. Nick Whitgren, the advanced stats have always shown that he's not as good as for his performance, but we thought maybe he's a guy who could, you know, I'll, maybe the stats wouldn't show enough. We'll see how it goes for him this year. Not a great start. Phil Mayton, very small in that one. Trevor Steven, you know, came out under a lot of nerves, struck out too. It's good to see. Again, I, I don't know if I necessarily love Ben Gamble hitting leadoff. Uh, that felt almost to me like, okay, so our center fielder is our leadoff hitter. It makes sense with, with Luplo because he hits so well. He's a premier hitter against lefties, but that's all he can do. Gamble isn't that case. Like This is not a case where you don't just keep it there because it's a center fielder. I mean, maybe you adjust your lineup, you do something. Going back, though, into this one, guys who reach base twice, Cesar Hernandez, Eddie Rosario, and that's your list. That's also kind of an issue when it's that small of an amount. Uh, unlucky. And that's that's kind of the theme here in game two is they were unlucky. We're hoping that, uh, that that will balance out over the course of the year. But, yeah, it, it's a solid pitching performance. Now, if you do want to sit back and be like, okay, they're having solid pitching performances against a bad team, that's fair. Like, the Tigers lineup is brutal. This is a lineup of players you know, like I said, I like Robbie Grossman. He's the king of the walk in the early going. Uh, Candelario is a solid starter. Willie Castro has looked like he could have some offensive upside. Miggy is not going to keep hitting like the Mickey of a not Mickey Miggy of a decade ago. Uh, swoop above average regular. Mazara's been a, a bust. I mean, frankly, as a hitter, uh, Ramos can hit but can't really catch. Goodrum can't hit. That's why in that game, oh, for four or three strikeouts, Jacoby Jones was looking very good last year before he got hurt. So we'll see. But their lineup, I, I mean, I would take the Indians lineup over the Tigers. That's not really a competition for me. And the Indians lineup is not exactly high end. So I think that kind of gives you balance. If you if you do want to be someone very negative in this one, that is the negativeness. That they're pitching well, but they're not dominating against a lineup that's probably one of the weaker ones they'll face this year. Our first sponsor is Bet Online, and let's look what they think about the Indians tomorrow. 
Tomorrow's an exciting game. At least I think it should be an exciting game. If you're like me, I'm curious to see what Logan Allen can do during this season. It's been a long time since the Indians have had a left-handed starter. And it's a former top 100 prospect who's definitely, it's not just the weight loss story. It's the, he refined his delivery. Danny Duffy, lefty versus lefty. The Indians, uh, the Royals are getting a run and a half, according to Bet Online, and the over-under on runs in this game is eight and a half. Uh, with Duffy and Allen, I would probably take the over. We'll have to see tomorrow, but that would be my guess that we're going to see more than eight and a half runs in the game tomorrow. If you are someone who is intrigued in action like that, go over to Bet Online today. Make sure to use the promo code Locked On, and that'll give you a fifty percent bonus on your first deposit. And you can find all their lineups. All the games are in here for tomorrow. Uh, if you switch through, you know, we can bet on the futures. You can find so many things when it comes to Major League Baseball odds for their season, for their awards. It's all there. Go check it out for yourself today. Remember, go to betonline.ag, use the promo code LOCKED ON. While I have you, go check out Locked On Today. All the breaking news you need with host Peter Bukowski. Go download yourself the Locked On Today podcast. So let's talk about the fun game now. Let's talk about game three from Sunday. Uh, this was a game that I watched after it was over. Uh, I had to do some Easter things and then some lawn work things, so I sat down and watched it on my tablet. Uh, the joys of having a, a subscriber who gave me MLB TV for free and living out of market. I got to check it out a little bit later. Totally worth checking out. The thing that stands out is power. Power with the bats, power with the pitches. Let's start with that. The Emmanuel Classe, first pitch he threw, 101.2 miles an hour. That is the fastest pitch thrown by an Indian's pitch in the tracking era, which started in 2008. Previous fastest was Danny Salazar at 100.7. So 0.5, you know, half a mile per hour faster. Still, 101? You're kidding me, right? Both against Detroit, which is kind of humorous. But we knew that. We knew Class A could get up there. And the chances, like if you could have bet on that, I would have bet that house on it because you knew he was going to break 101 this year just based on what we saw in spring training and what we knew about him from the past so that was impressive and that was fun to see uh Franmo Reyes with his seventh career home run against the Tigers that is the team he has now hit the most home runs against so you think about his time with the Indians a shortened season last year and then a half season and three games he had a full, basically the equivalent of a full season with San Diego because he kind of came up late the year before, probably a little bit more in a full season. I mean, I, I could go look this up. Why am I debating it here? But just when you think about it, his total games played with the Padres, undoubtedly higher than his total games played with the Indians. Uh, total games with the Padres, six nuts played appearances, 186, 639 played appearances. The Indians, 112, 443. So almost 200 more plate appearances with the Padres. Yet it's the Tigers. <laughs> the Tigers have that cavernous stadium that is known to suppress power. And it is the Tigers, which again, might talk about their pitching uh, to a degree, that he has his most career home runs against. That kind of surprised me when I saw it because I knew that he had spent more time in the National League than the American League still. Yet that is the team he's had his most career home runs against. That, that was a very uh, kind of mind-blowing thing when I sat down to see it. So overall in this game, just to talk about it, nine runs on 10 hits. The other side of things, this was mildly humorous to me as well as just a stat person. 
They scored three runs on two hits. That was it. Saval, Savali, uh, to correct myself there, I, he went on quite the run. Well, after the um, the second home run, you know, he gave up the the two home runs. Both runs came by the home run. Akil Badu uh, on his first pitch he ever saw, he had a home run. Their Rule Five selection, and then I believe that was the one in the fourth. That was the second one because Nomar Mazara, who you don't count on hitting for power, knocked one out in the first. So, and his was the one that uh, was a two-run shot. And then after uh, Badu's in the fifth, he was twelve perfect inning, or not innings, twelve perfect batters. Like there had been one hit or no, a walk that got erased on the double play. He just locked in. And that was it. And he ended up going seven innings, two hits, three earned runs, three walks, six strikeouts, the two home runs, 91 pitches through seven innings. That's nice to see. 57 strikes. Quantrell coming out of the pen, one inning, two strikeouts, then Class A, one inning, one strikeout. It is interesting that they are relying on the spring training, it looks like, to a degree, that right now Quantrell is the guy in the pen and that Allen and McKenzie... Now, they don't really need a fifth starter for a while, but right now it's Allen, and I've talked about this. McKenzie is a max 120 innings guy this year, so if Quantrell starts in the pen, that doesn't mean that's where he finishes. Let's just put it that way. Uh, In this one, should we just box score it out, talk about some of the fun performances? After all their struggles, how about three doubles and three home runs, six extra base hits? I, they in the first few games, did they have like what maybe two extra base hits? Three, two extra base hits. I want to say in the first game, I can think Cesar Hernandez's double, Perez's home run, Eddie Rosario had a home run, of course, in game two. Uh, but there were not a lot of extra base hits. Six in this one, and I I appreciate the Austin Hedges, his only hit being a home run. The reason I appreciate that is that is so Austin Hedges like. Austin Hedges has legitimate plus power. He just can't connect. He has such a hard... He's, it's baseball... You know, there's certain games I will play. It reminds me of, like, playing something on hard mode and barely getting through it and not being good enough at it. That's kind of Austin, Austin Hedges as a hitter. The power is there. He just... He's not a good enough hitter to be able to catch up to the majority of what gets thrown, and it gets thrown past him. But the power is there, the athleticism. He runs well for a catcher. So a lot of awesome traits. And of course, you know, he is like probably one of the top three defenders in all of baseball. So in addition, we saw this kind of platoon going on with, uh, with you know, and now I second guess myself on the names all the time with, uh, with Jordan in center field and Chang at first base. And Chang with the two hit game and Jose Ramirez, a two hit game. Players who got on base twice. Luplo or Luplo, right? I had this problem last year, and like I said, now it gets stuck in my head that it could go either way. Uh, Jose Ramirez, Eddie Rosario, and then Yu Chen Chang. So those guys all had multiple hits. I like Tarek Skubal a lot, and his line wasn't terrible in this one. The Indians really got to Daniel Norris, though. He has not been effective. Uh, he was. You go back, he was a very high-paid second-round pick by Toronto. Then he was one of the big pieces, along with Matt Boyd, 
for, I mean, Norris was the big piece in that David Price trade. And Norris it was the second round pick. I want to say it was the same year that the Indians spent a lot on Dylan Howard. Those are like the two big, maybe Norris was like a late first rounder. It was about the, you know, they were the highest high school pitchers left on the board by whatever was the main board I was looking at at the time. I can't remember if it was like MLB or Baseball America or who. But uh, I always think about the the Dylan Howard selection when I see Daniel Norris. Didn't work out for Norris in this one. He had pitched well previously against the Indians this season. Again, small sample size. But they got to him, and overall, uh, fun to watch, right? At 10 hits. They had had seven hits the day before. Three walks. They had five the day before. So you're kind of looking at that. Yes, the extra base hits certainly help get those runs across. But they actually didn't have that many more people, you know, times they reached base in this game compared to Saturday's game. The big hits help, but also not being incredibly unlucky. Uh, That all comes together. Big win. They get this third game of the series out and done. And now they'll have a matchup with Kansas City for the next few uh, days. The scheduled matchup is Logan Allen versus Danny Duffy. That'll be a 4 o'clock game on Monday. So I uh, I will still be teaching in my timeline when that one starts. Uh, Tuesday is off, and then a one ten game on Wednesday, Beaver versus Keller, where I will be teaching the whole time of that game. So I will not be able to, uh, unfortunately, take in any of that live. But that's, again, with that built-in off day, with the built-in off day Friday, this is why they don't even really need a fifth starter for a good chunk of uh, the early going of this season. So we will take a quick break here again, and then we'll come back and talk about the Kansas City series that will be starting the day that you listen to this podcast. So I wanted to do a drum roll uh, to announce the winner of the Built Bar Championship, but when I did the drum roll, the sound levels were so high, I'm like, I'm just going to skip it and not blow out anyone's ears. So we have a winner, and the winner is who I predicted. The winner is the uh, coconut brownie chunk. It's fantastic. I wish I had more of them. I would gladly trade all of my cookie doughs right now for those. Uh, Not as an knock necessarily on cookie dough. That's just how awesome I thought that flavor was. There was much consternation in the chat. Uh, People talking about the robbings that went on, the flavors that they thought should have won. The only one I strongly disagree with was Sully with raspberry because I... I'm not a big fan of the, of the berries, but that just goes to show how good the flavors are in general. Where like I can say the one that I really don't like is someone like Sully's favorite. That it's there's no bad flavor. There is just finding out the ones that work for you, the ones you like, and that's why I recommend a mix box. And when you do go to builtbar.com, you want to use the promo code Locked On fifteen, Locked On fifteen to get fifteen percent off your order. It's just a great tasting product. It's healthy. When I use my little Scan Your Food app, it gets an A rating on the fitness app. It provides you energy and protein, and it tastes better than any protein bar I've ever had. So if you want a delicious tasting, healthy snack, Built Bar is the place to go. Using the promo code LOCKEDON15 gets you that extra discount as well and helps us out. Well, I got you. Go check out the uh, Locked On Fantasy Baseball podcast. If fantasy baseball is your thing, why are you not already downloaded and listening to Scott and his takes on fantasy baseball? Go check it out for yourself today. So let's talk about these matchups for the Indians. Kansas City. Uh, Danny Duffy is the first one. Danny Duffy has been, I'm laughing because it's like he is the one pitcher I could think of who's like still with the Royals. 32 years of age. He has been there 
since they drafted him in the third round back in 2007. I kind of want to, this is the problem when you look at fan graphs and I want to like jump over and look at the 2007 uh, baseball reference draft. So we will pause the podcast. So that was, uh, you know, I should have remembered this because this was the first one that was ever broadcast on television. I remember watching it. I remember reading the Jim Callis chats leading up to it. You had such great first round picks as Josh Vitters with his negative war, Matt Laporta with his negative war, Daniel Moskis and Ross Watt. Detweiler also in the top 10 with a barely uh, 0.2 war. Uh, you did have Matt Wieters, Mike Moustakis, and of course David Price in there. But also in the top 10, Casey Weathers, who never made it to the majors. Jared Parker, who couldn't stay healthy, so only accumulated to six. And the 10th pick, Madison Bumgarner. The 11th pick had a negative war as well. I mean, it's it's kind of brutal. I wanted Jason Hayward. The Indians took Bo Mills that year. And it didn't get too much better for the Indians from there uh, in that draft. TJ McFarland, far and away, their best pick was their second rounder. Never pitched with the Indians, 142 games as a Rule 5 player. We talk about the guys in the Rule 5 and how they've lost a lot of guys over the years and didn't produce a whole lot of players in terms of uh, performance or playing in the big leagues. Uh, that's that's TJ McFarland, a guy who they lost in the Rule 5 who went on to pitch 142 games in the big leagues, none with the Indians, mostly as a loogie. Uh, I mean, Josh Judy with his 12 games is your most successful guy. Uh, yeah, because all the other players, <laughs> Matt Haig, Bryce Brents, uh, Dean Kickenheffer, and uh, Eric Josick were all the other guys who made it to the majors, but none actually signed. So that's that's a fun time just to go and give you a comparison. But now that we've gone down a uh, road, let's go back to talking Danny Duffy, who would have been better in any of the Indian selections. Long career. Here's the thing with Duffy. He's very solid against lefties. I mean, a career... Uh, why am I looking at standard? I want to look at his advanced stuff. You're looking at like an XFIP around 375. So he's like almost a mid-rotation starter against uh, lefties. Low batting average, low on base. He's He does well against left-handers. But it is a pretty significant difference. His XFIP and his, his XFIP jumps by one run. His FIP jumps by a run and a half which shows he's also giving up a lot more home runs, which, again, you go and you look at the home run rate, 0.53 in his career versus lefties, one two eight against righties. Uh, he's walking more guys. He's striking out less. I'm sure the Indians will go righty heavy because he's he's a not good starter against righties. Against lefties, he's a very solid mid-rotation guy. Against righties, he's a borderline five. So you want to load up on righties. I'm sure they'll have many right-handers in that lineup for the Cleveland Indians because they know that data as well as I do. And they've already shown that they are going to those splits uh, throughout just the early going of the season. So hopping over to Brad Keller, who'll start the Wednesday game, uh, right-handed pitcher. And his splits aren't quite as dramatic, but there is definitely a, you know, lefties. It's interesting. His his FIP is much better against right-handed pitchers, uh, about a run better, but his strikeout rate is one and a half lower. It's just against lefties, he walks five guys per nine, where righties, it's two guys per nine. So his walk rate is significantly different. He's allowing you know, another base runner per game. Home run rate's pretty static for his career. So it's if you're a left-handed hitter, you want to be very patient against Brad Keller, uh, he is his control. He doesn't seem to have the best control, the best spotting 
with his pitches, so that's something to be aware of. Be patient. Load up on lefties to a degree. It, it like I said, it's not the dramatic case with Duffy, but if when you, if you are a left-handed hitter, patience is definitely a key in this situation. With the right-handers, uh, you can be aggressive. He's not missing bats. He's not walking guys either, so he's definitely keeping it in the zone, pitching to contact. Uh, it's definitely something to look at. I wonder if I can go into the batted ball data. Uh, yeah, it's not like his ground ball rates really change. Uh, he definitely right-handers tend to pull the ball more. That's maybe the one thing that stands out. And I mean, but even things like his hard contact is about the same for both. So it's which again goes and shows with the home run data. So it's an, he's an interesting player. He kind of broke out a year ago, uh, pitching quite well for Kansas City in 2020. Had a 2.47 ERA, a 3.43 FIP, 1.3 wins in just those nine starts. So he's a guy where we do have that data, but the overall data is also possibly shifting or changing. Like, was last year a breakout or was it a nine-game stretch? We don't know. I mean, that's just the honesty of the situation. Uh, who's performed well for them in the early going? Uh, Whit Merrifield, Michael Taylor, Carlos Santana has been solid. Uh, it'll be hard to see Santana in that other uniform. He is easily one of my favorite Indians uh, of my lifetime. He's, uh, you know, he's still, let's see, this year it's batting average is up and it's three games. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But that's why it's more important to look at. I can look at the pitchers and I can take them apart because I can look at the career data. This team is, it's its interesting. Like I really liked Kyle Isabel when he was taken in the third round uh, out of UNLV, I want to say. And the fact, that was the year it was, it was kind of crazy. Kansas City took like five pitchers in a row because you had the Florida guys and Singer and Kowar. Uh, then you had uh, Bubik from Stanford. I believe that was also the year they took along with Daniel from Virginia, uh, Daniel Lynch, and then uh, Jonathan Bowden, I want to say, out of Memphis, who was a big kid. They owned that draft. They were just loaded with draft picks. Uh, I should look at the exact year. It's like they all start to blend together in my mind after you've covered so many of them. It was the 2018, 2018 draft, and they just went so crazy on pitchers, and then they took Kyle Isabel. I like him. Uh, the gamble for Benintendi, Benintendi was interesting and didn't cost them that much. So, and if he rebounds or, or even gets close to being an average regular, they win. Whit Merrifield has stayed productive, though I really think they missed the boat not trading him for assets. Salvador Perez, we'll see. Uh, catchers typically don't age super well. Jorge Solar, two years ago, I thought he could have been one of the best trade assets on the market. Not a great 2020, has a chance to rebound, but as a DH only, nearing the end of that contract and getting expensive, I just don't know what their market would be. They gave Dozier that extension. I just didn't think he was more than kind of average. Taylor was filler, and so far he's performed well. We'll see what happens. And then uh, Nicky Lopez at short. Uh, I know people were excited about the idea of Bobby Witt. We uh, we talked with Rylan on the podcast, but seeing what you got in Nicky Lopez is the better value. And I know he's only there because um, Mondesi is hurt. If Mondesi was hurt or was healthy, he'd be in there instead. But it's nice to see what a prospect can do. We've talked about this with the Indians as well. You need to see what your young players can do. You don't want to be the team that is letting these guys go, and then they're 
latching on somewhere else and being effective because you didn't give them opportunities. So the Kansas City team, I already discussed the pitching, but I think it's going to be a fun lineup. Always good to see Santana. Local Ohio kid in Andrew Benintendi. Young rookie in Isabel. And then a lot of, you know, Jorge Soler is fun to watch for baseball. Went Merrifield, productive. It's, it's a fun lineup to look at. I'm hoping it's not productive while they're facing the Indians, but it's still a team that is very much one that should be entertaining to watch for this kind of weird series that's coming up where they're playing Monday and Wednesday with an off day Tuesday. Then they'll have a four-game series, the Royals will, with uh, Chicago White Sox with an off day Friday. All these off days being built in is uh, it's odd. The Indians will have this series against Kansas City off day Thursday, and then a three-game set against the Tigers. Right back at it. They'll be in the division for the foreseeable future. I want to give a quick shout-out here at the end of Burke Ranger, who's been on the show, friend of the show. Uh, he had some great stuff this weekend from his scouting trips. I am so I am watching the college games. I just don't have the time to do the po- proper write-ups right now. But Burke is putting out video. He was at Seth Lonsway's great performance. He is out there getting it done. Uh, I am so jealous. If you like college baseball or you're curious about the draft the state of Ohio is better than it's been in maybe my lifetime it feels like now it's probably not true because like in the 80s they actually had like top you know the top uh prep player in back-to-back years came from Ohio but in terms of the Mac they're like Miami of Ohio has a pair of pitchers that will probably go in the top five rounds everyone knows Sam Bachman but uh, I think it's Jones is the Saturday pitcher who's also getting run uh, the Mac has three exceptional arms. Seth Lonsway was a potential day two pick out of high school who had massive control problems. And then Saturday struck out 17 with, I want to say, one walk. And Burke has that uh, some of that video up. So go check out Burke, friend of the show. I'm going to talk about having him on soon to talk some more draft stuff. But uh, uh, I'm jealous, Ohio. You are in such great shape right now. Go check out some of those games. If you're near one and you can do it safely, uh Go a Friday game at Kent, at Ohio State, at Miami of Ohio, uh, down at Ohio U, you're going to see a guy who's going to get drafted high. I've been Jeff Ellis. You can find me on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft. And as always, at least for now, go Tribe. <laughs>